Yeah, it's really, really uh, lovely to see you all this morning. Um, there's obviously like a big zone here which no one wants to sit in. <laughs> I feel very distant from you all. Um, but hopefully you can hear me okay. It's really great to be with uh, church family this morning. It's really good for me to be here. I've kind of missed the last two Sundays. I thought I'd just share a little bit of what I've been up to. Um, maybe some of you don't know I've been away traveling in Israel and Palestine um, on, a, on a peacemaking pilgrimage, which um, if I start talking about that, I'll be, we'll be here all day and you don't want that. <clears throat> but it was an amazing trip. Um, some of you will know over the last few years we've built a bit of a connection with a church in Indiana and South Bend, um, the city of South Bend in the USA. And so this is the team from that church that went to Israel Palestine and I'm in the back. I got a kind invitation from them to join them on, uh, on this trip. Maybe remember Jason Miller who's been here and preached a few times and I've been out to their church as well, Beth and I have visited them and spoken there. Um, and so I thought I'd just share a little bit about it. It was an organization called Telos, if you're really interested in peacemaking, particularly in conflict areas. Um, look up their website and find out all about them. Amazing organization. They're trying to really form peacemakers in the Western world, particularly in the church, but wider than that, um, in areas where there's difference, where there's lines of difference, really. And they do that by taking people on these trips, these immersive trips to parts of the world where there's all sorts going on. So last uh, 10 days, came back on Tuesday, we visited different synagogues, mosques, churches, holy sites, refugee camps, speaking to Palestinians and Israelis about the conflict there, learning their stories, hearing their story, and trying to understand the complexity of that particular part of the world. And um, I, I guess attempt to begin to reckon with the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so we know here in this peace of the world that we live on this island about peacemaking and the importance of it and um, so it was a quite an extraordinary trip to experience it in a different place and I'll be posting it for some time but certainly if any of you are interested do grab a coffee with me I would talk all day if I didn't fill you all in um, I'd love to share and hopefully I'll share a little bit of my experiences this week uh, maybe even over the next few weeks um, so that's what I've been up to but it's really great to be back here with church family and we've been in this series what kind of human and I have the, the privilege the honor the job today of wrapping that up the fi final session of that um, we've been exploring um, what it means to be a human being what it means to flourish in the way that God intended us to flourish as human beings paying particular attention to our emotional lives our emotional well-being our emotional health as an integral part of discipleship, of an integral part of that. And we've been basing this on a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You've seen it every week. It'll be on the screen, hopefully, behind me. Yeah, if you're interested in going deeper, certainly do pick up a copy of that. Based on this quote really sums it up from Pete Scazzaro. It's not possible to be spiritually healthy while remaining emotionally unhealthy. So it's this idea that emotions aren't, our en aren't the enemy. You know, they're important. In fact, they're the cry of the soul. They're speaking to us and communi communicating something about how we're processing life and the sorrow of life and the joy of life and, and our, our connection with the Lord. And so it's important to kind of tend to that, to nurture that. I don't know if you've been in spaces growing up, particularly in spiritual communities, religious communities, church communities, where sometimes that um, is not paid attention to, you know, and it's, it's actually this kind of, breakthrough kind of idea that really we're holistic human beings and every part of our lives is integral, whether it's the mind, the heart, or even our bodies, um, part of discipleship, part of following Jesus. I love this quote from a pastor called Rick Villitas. It says, evangelical Christianity, particularly he's talking about, 
he's in that tradition, and we are kind of evangelical-ish, I guess, you know, we're kind of our tradition, um, is often characterized by a deep desire to have Christianity pervade our culture, but not have Christ permeate our being. So like, you know, something about particular parts of our brothers and sisters in the church, sadly, that engage with culture wars and trying to change, trying to sometimes force the culture to change, but in fact, sometimes we can be guilty of not letting Christ at all begin to change us. And so I think that's hopefully what this series is helping us do. We're not going to become emotionally healthy or uh, in six weeks of a sermon series, are we? You know, but hopefully what Steph and I have been bringing have put, has put some language and some framework around this. And of course, the resource is there for you if you want to go further. So we're in the, the, final, uh, s- s- the final teaching of that today. And I'd love just to invite you to pray with me just before we kind of jump into that. So maybe you just want to close your eyes and we'll just pray and come before the Lord before we, we go any further. Yeah, Father, I thank you for your presence that you're with us today. And we bless your name, Jesus. And we again look to you. We look to you uh, our help, our friend, our source, our sustainer. We pray that you would continue to bless us this morning as we meet, as we worship together, as we sit with one another. May we experience your love. And may you give us open heart, open eyes, open ears to receive all that you would say and want to say to us. We pray this in the good and sweet and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So the goal of the Christian life is to learn to love well. If you don't remember anything else that I tell you today, you can switch off, you can go and get coffee. Just remember that, that the goal of the Christian life is to become people who love well. The purpose is to learn that. It takes a lifetime and sometimes we're always learning it. The telos, the purpose, the the focal point, the end game is to make us people who are, are transformed by the love of God that we love so well and bless so well. And as, as important as it is for emotional health to kind of help us come to peace with ourselves, which is a really important thing, to have a sense of peace with oneself. And it's a beautiful outcome of doing the hard work, whether that's seeing a spiritual director or a therapist or spending lots of time with the Lord in prayer or scripture or doing that kind of hard work of emotional health. As much as the outcome of that in the Christian kind of way of seeing things is to kind of come to peace with ourselves and our own stories, ultimately the purpose of paying attention to all that, to allowing God in there to permeate our being is that we may become people who love well. A couple of questions. How do we know that? Well, listen, I'm going to take you right there. In John 13, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And he says these words in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. A couple of things there. Jesus commands it, a new command. He also qualifies it. Love in the way I loved you. So there's a kind of, there's a way of loving. And he also puts an awful lot of pressure on us because he's, <laughs> everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So there's this, there's this responsibility. There's this, it's like, thanks to Jesus, there's pressure. 
People will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's this responsibility as followers of Christ to love well, at least to learn well. That's our calling. The genuine kind of end point, the essence of a spiritual life and a spiritual community like this is to be a people that love, that love God, that love others, that love our neighbors, that love well. And Jesus says that we're to do this in the way that he has loved us, which begs another question. What does it look like to love in the way that Jesus loved? How can we take all of the things that we've been learning over this last five, six weeks, and how can we weave that and kind of allow it to form us to be a people that love well? Here's a couple of ideas that love is not. Love is not a feeling. Kind of the conversation that goes around in culture, love is not a feeling, not this kind of love anyway. It's not that we have to like people to love them. The gospel calls us to love even our enemies. So there's a sense that love is not a feeling. It's not a, an affection towards someone. Feelings are really important. But there's love that's a choice, that's an action. Here's another, another thing that love is not. It's not agreement. It's not just loving people that look like you or me, that sound like you or me, that have the same values as you or me, that think the same way as you or me. If that was love, it kind of just feels too easy, right? It's kind of, we're called to love the other. We're called even to love our enemies, as I've said. There's more than agreement, more than just, well, we agree we can love one another. We're called to love all of God's created humanity. And we kind of taught a lot about this, particularly in the church context here, about, you know, being a Jesus-centered community that's united in our diversity too, even in this community. Here's another thing. Um, love is not good intentions or prayer or wishful thinking. Hands up if you've ever had that prayer. You know, the prayer that goes something like this. Lord, would you just show that person that you love them? Would you show that person that you care? Would you show that person that you are there for them? Amen. And the surprise is that we're supposed to be the answer to that prayer. Did you ever get that? Like, to pray that prayer, we kind of have this sense that perhaps... The person we're going to pray about is going to wake up in a mood, in a vibe, and they're going to just know that God's with them and God loves them. The answer to that kind of prayer is actually ourselves. There's an imperative, there's a call. We're going to talk a bit more about that this morning. It's not a feeling, it's not agreement, it's not good intentions. It's more than that. And prayer forms us and aligns us to the heart of God. So prayer is important. It kind of puts us and syncs us up with what God cares about. But then often we find that we're called to be the very answers to the prayers that we're praying. And there's something that we're called to. So I want to kind of answer that question. What does it look like to love well? So if you could turn to Philippians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen behind you. Because I think Jesus is our example in this. He shows us. And I want to read this passage because it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if any... Sorry, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and by being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus the Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That passage in Philippians chapter 2 is one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture. It's a poetic kind of hymn, song, in the original language written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a church that he started, planted, in a place called Philippi. And he's calling them to center their lives on Christ. It's a Christological passage. It's calling people to, the people in that congregation to center their lives on Christ, that they may live in true joy. And there's two, things, two verses, verse 2 and verse 5. It says, being like-minded with the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. And then in verse 5 it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So there's, there's, here's, we're going to begin to think, what does it look like to love well? Well, firstly, it, we are called together collectively to be, to take on the mindset of Christ. To have the same mind, the same love as a people, as a congregation, as a church. To be like Christ in our mind. Of one mind, one spirit, having the same love. And then he calls them the humility above valuing others above themselves when he says rather he made himself nothing but taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness what's Paul getting at here what's he calling this community to be he said love in the same way that Christ loved and what does that look like here is the reveal I guess the big point that I want to make today showing up Love looks like showing up. A kind of a, a theological term for that, and it happens to be the first Sunday of Advent, is incarnation. Incarnation. I was in Nazareth at the place, apparently, where the angel appeared to Mary and announced that about 10 days ago. This announcement that God the divine was going to enter into the world. John says it best in John 1, the word, the logos, Logos is a Greek word for the source of everything. Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Incarnation, as we begin Advent and we're anticipating, we're waiting, just like the kind of art installation at the back. I love it, what Lucy and Stephen have done. We're anticipating this moment in the Christian calendar where we celebrate, where we celebrate and mark the arrival, the showing up of God. This is the great hope we have. God came in Christ. He actually came. He showed up in the neighborhood. He moved into your street. He walked in your shoes. He took on flesh and blood. and He, he lived in the mess, the pain, and the reality of that he came that was love come down Emmanuel God with us what does it mean to love like Christ love it means like to show up to incarnate to to be like Christ to love well is like incarnation because that's what we kind of call this morning's talk incarnation 
as a model for living well. That's what it's got to do with emotional health. All of this kind of learning how to be spiritually healthy and integrated and mature disciples of Christ has a telos. It is calling us somewhere and that place is to be a people that love well in the way that Christ has loved, which means showing up, not just praying good intentional prayers, not just loving people that are like us, not just feeling it, but costly showing up just like Christ did. We're not just to love in any way, we're to love in the Christ in a way that Christ loved, the way that he moved into the neighborhood. Act of showing up. Roland Rollheiser has a beautiful story that summarizes this. Um, there's a marvelous story about a four-year-old girl who, maybe you've heard this before, who she awoke in the middle of the night, frightened and convinced that in the darkness, all around her were kinds of spooks and monsters. And alone, she ran to her parents' bedroom and the mother calmed her down and taking her by the hand, led her back to her own room where she put on a light and reassured the child with these words. You needn't be afraid. You're not alone here. God is in the room with you. And the child replied, I know that God is here, but I need someone in this room who has some skin. God knew and knows that we need skin. Not just like a knowledge that God is somewhere, but like, like a person who kind of came into our story. The Christ. And we're desperate for skin today. People are desperate for skin to be loved by someone that they can touch. God took on human flesh, the infinite creator and sustainer of the universe, limited himself to the confines of history and a human body. God invaded our planet and changed it forever. God, the divine, the Logos, became incarnate taking on human flesh in shocking and concrete and raw and real ways, tangible, touchable, tasteable, God knew there was no better way to show human beings that he loved them than by showing up, by entering our world physically, emotionally. God took on skin for us. And God has skin today. Today, God has skin that can be seen, touched, heard, and tasted in the form of his body, the church, you and me. We are the skin of God in the world. We are the body of Christ in the world. We are the hands and the feet in the world. And we are filled by the spirit of God who indwells us and empowers us to be a people that love well to be a people that show up, to be incarnational like Christ. And the responsibility that people would see that we're disciples of Jesus is by showing up, by having some skin, is by people being able to touch and taste and see, to show up for one another in this room, in this community, but also for you to show up to your friends, for me to show up to my friends, our family, to the other people that are not like me, are you? People that don't speak the same language or people who are strangers in this city? What does it look like for us to show up in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, <clears throat> in this city, in the towns, the villages that you live in? We're called 
to love well. And incarnation, this time of the year, Advent, is a model for us. To show up to the darkest places of the mess and the reality, we become the skin of God that can bring some, some life and light and hope. Because that's the grace of God. He uses us in some mysterious way to bring hope to those who feel alone in the room, in the darkness, surrounded by the spooks and the monsters of loneliness and despair and sadness and hardship and oppression and discomfort and brokenheartedness. They need a God who shows up with skin on, as do we. How do we love well? Well, I guess if I want to get more specific, because that's always the challenge that I have. Steph and I and others and our team are always talking about how do we, you know, feedback in our preaching. How do we actually make this happen? How do we apply that? And sometimes I'm always not the best at trying to apply that. But here are two ways I really, really think that we can apply this to our lives. And I'm going to call it the ministry of presence. It's just as what it says it is. And the ministry of listening. There's a Native American saying, to truly understand other human beings, we must first walk a mile in their shoes. I went to Israel-Palestine, and it was an amazing trip, and it was designed to go to the places that Jesus walked. So we went to Nazareth, and I was on a boat trip in the Sea of Galilee. I was on the shores of Galilee where Jesus would have called his disciples, and then the same shores where he would have cooked breakfast after he rose from the dead, and kind of reinstituted Peter after his betrayal. I went to Jerusalem and to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Downs of the Golden Gate. I visited all these places that Jesus would have walked, but the trip was a pilgrimage. Well, I mean, in the trail of that, there's all sorts of Christian pilgrimage sites. You know, something happened there. Jesus was there. You go there and you realize there's a church built on every site that Jesus was at. There's pilgrims that are visiting there. But the trip that I went on was also designed to walk in the places that Jesus would walk today. Not the places that he did walk, but the places that he would go, like Bethlehem refugee camp, or sitting around the table with broken-hearted peacemakers that are trying to bring some hope in a really hopeless situation, or to the places of bereaved mothers who lost sons in that conflict, the places where Jesus would show up, we went to those places. And I want to tell you the story of one of them called Ronnie. Ronnie. This is her, hopefully there's a picture of her. Um, and this was last Sunday morning when you were here worshiping here. I was just on the border of the Gaza, Gaza Strip with this lady who's an Israeli and her husband who's an artist and their house was filled with art. And she's an activist um, in a little town called Zerat. You can watch her documentary on Amazon Prime. It's called Other Voices, if you want to kind of get the full story. But she's a lady in her 60s that is showing up with skin on. And she's dedicated her life to love the people that she's been told are her enemies. Uh, Palestinian uh, people that live in, in Gaza. Gaza is, I don't want to get political. I'm not going to get political. I'm just going to describe what's happening because there's all sorts of reasons for that and it's well above my pay grade. But the... It's the biggest open-air prison in the world, basically. There's two million Palestinians living on 365 square kilometers of land. That's the third most densely populated place on the planet. And there's like air 
navy and walls. Every side they are completely blocked in. And it prevents people and goods from entering freely or leaving the territory. The poverty, the lack of water and electricity, the utilities, and people in this village that Ronnie is in, she's in Israeli, she has 24-hour water and internet and electricity, and there's people just a mile across the wall, and they get four hours of water a day, and they, get, they don't get the utilities, they don't get the things that they need. There's a lack of freedom. There's a lack of, well, it's really an abuse of human rights. And Roni's community would say that they deserve that, just to cast a blind eye to that. But Roni has decided, no, she has decided to show up. She's a peacemaker. She's advocating that Palestinians and Israel should live together. She's seeing the dignity of other human beings by speaking up for those without a voice. And she I sat in her safe room in her house, which is... Uh, 15 seconds when the sirens go off, you've got to find a safe place. The bus shelters are, are also bomb shelters that are reinforced because you've just got to get in there. So there are rockets coming over from Gaza and it's a violent place. You know perhaps more than even I do about that. But she knows that those are human beings on the other side of that wall. Those are her Palestinian neighbors. She remembers a past when she lived side by side with those people before the walls were built. And it's cost her her reputation. This is the thing, showing up is costly. Because when you look at Philippians, Christ not only emptied himself and came to be in the human likeness, but he also went to his very death. Costly sacrifice. And it's cost her her reputation among her, even her friends, even her own son who's in the military. Thinks she's naive, thinks she's compromising with people that are the enemy that should be kept in those conditions. Perhaps and yet she loves them. And there's one thing that she does, and you'll see it in the documentary if you're interested. And one thing she does is she's involved with friends across borders, which is basically a group of Israeli people that show up at the checkpoints. Because to leave Palestine, you've got to go through a checkpoint. So for people that are, for Palestinians that are ill, they have no hospital care that they can get to on that side of the wall. And they need to get some in the main Israel side of the wall. And they get special dispensation from the authorities to go through the checkpoint. But if you can imagine, once they get to the other side of that checkpoint, how do they make their way to whatever hospital in Tel Aviv or wherever, and how do they do that in a safe way? Well, is this Ronnie is part of a group that show up, literally, in their car with sick Palestinian people and take them to their hospital appointments. And that's all they do, they just show up and they invite people that are apparently the enemy to sit in their car and drive them to the hospital to their appointments and give some dignity, but it also gives some time for her to practice what I call the ministry of listening. Because as she's done that for weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years, and that group has done that, they have begun to build friendships and relationships because some of these people are going for care, repeated, repeated care all of the time to get the care that they need in the big hospitals. And, and it's beginning to break down some barriers, it's beginning to build up some relationships. And she's trying to make peace. She's showing up in a desperate, desperate situation. She's building friendships and there's trust emerging there. She's defiant, hopefully defiant in the midst of a hopeless situation. I think that's an image, just a small, little, tiny glimpse of what it might look like to show up with skin on, God with skin on, love well. 
St. Basil, the Bishop of Caesarea in the 4th century, said annunciations are frequent, but incarnations are rare, which basically means we're all very good at bold announcements about God, but it's very rare to find people that are actually walking the humble way of Jesus and loving well. Maybe you can reach some people in your world with the ministry of presence, with the ministry of listening to their stories. David Osberger said, being heard is so close to being loved for the average person it's almost indistinguishable. To have your story heard, to have your dignity restored, to have someone pay attention to your plight, to your story, is a loving act. It's showing up. And so I guess as I kind of wrap up this series and as I wrap up today, I'm calling us as a community to love well, to kind of give ourselves to that call to be a people that the, the world would see that we're Christ's disciples because we love one another well. We love our neighbors well. And we show up well. And the thing is, I know in this community there's beautiful examples of showing up. We don't need to go to Israel or the Gaza Strip to hear stories like that. Across the city there are, but even in this community, stories of people, and some of you have experienced it, whether it's a hot meal cooked at the right time, whether it's a conversation, whether it's someone taking you out for coffee, whether whatever it might be. And some of you are showing up for others, your money, your time, your heart, your cooking, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. So thank you for that. And also, the invitation is there to live and love well. The Friday night supper club that Steph and that team are beginning to start in the new year is an opportunity if you just need a way to help to do that. You don't need to show up in every way within Redeemer. There's lots of ways that you can show up as God in the world, but if you're looking for some way to play your part, to begin to listen to people that are different from you, to love well, perhaps consider joining that group. Perhaps consider cooking some meals for the freezer ministry in, in the kitchen here. Perhaps sign up with Ruth and the Parents and Tots group that are going to begin soon in welcoming some of the strangers in our land, those people that are seeking asylum here on a weekly basis. What would it look like for us to just show up the ministry of presence and of listening and restoring some dignity to those people, to those that are lonely, to those that are even in this community that are lonely? There's a call on us to be like Christ and to love well. So Redeemer, that's the invitation for us. To live incarnationally, to show up for our friends, our family, our community, our, our city, our world. To walk in their shoes, to live in their story for a minute. To hear their journey, to love them with your presence and your time. To be the answer to your own prayers. To follow Christ's example. And I'd love us to come to the table now. I'm going to invite Fra, Caitlin, and Rosie to come forward as they kind of lead us in worship. But the thing is, as I've been thinking about even coming to the table today, as we've been thinking about this Advent season that we're entering into and this whole idea of incarnation showing up as a means of loving, I'm really, really struck by. The fact that 
all of us, if not many of us in this room, are here but by the grace of God showing up for us. And that on this table behind me is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and the bread and the wine is a symbol of what we have experienced. At some point, you saw a face, you felt a touch or an embrace because someone showed up for you and often that was someone that the Lord, the Lord brought to you. But ultimately, Christ has shown up for us. We are experiencing the grace and the love of God in Christ. He's come to us in our loneliness and in our despair. And that's something for us to celebrate today as we begin Advent. To celebrate the God who showed up and who's going to continue to show up. If you're here today and you're kind of carrying things that are heavy today, I want you to know that Christ would say his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He invites you to come and to experience his rest, his grace. He is here. Maybe we can celebrate the God that shows up, has skin on in one another as we come to the table too. As we come forward, perhaps those that are behind us and in front of us and alongside us break bread together. We don't do it as a solo act, but we do it together, realizing that God's presence is here in one another. As we look into the face of one another, we see our brother and we see our sister and we see the face of God, the presence of God, the love of God to us. So I'd love you to stand and we can lead you in a, a prayer. <clears throat> as we come to the table and Fra and the band will lead us and you know the story you can kind of come up and collect the bread and collect the wine and you can take it and turn to your table and let's celebrate let's celebrate the grace of God who, the God who came for us love come down Emmanuel God with us and the God who invites us to be his hands and feet in Lord, I just thank you today for your grace, for your gospel, for your story that has, we pray it would permeate our being, Lord, that we would become more like Christ, transformed by your love, that we may remember the ways you've shown up for us, the ways you've rescued us, the ways you've reached down and pulled us up, your ongoing grace day in and day out your blessings to us. We celebrate you as the God who showed up. And Lord, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit to be a people that love well. That it wouldn't be a heavy burden, but Lord, that we would be empowered to be your presence in this world. And may you encourage us as we look into each other's faces today around this table. That indeed God is here and God is with us in and through one another in Jesus' name.